Welcome to PeerPod, where you are the peer and we are the pod. Here at the PeerPod studios, we've extracted the sweet, sweet juice from our freshly squeezed student experience and we have bottled it for a reasonable price, free and fresh for the download. We are dripping with knowledge and we really can't wait to share with you our words of motivation, experience and of course, our stories. Hello and welcome back to the PeerPod podcast, the podcast where you are the peers when we here are your pod. We are coming at you from our ThinkSpace studio. I'm your host, Life Coach Layla, and today we are joined by Melo Mel and Rocco Rangan. Some fresh voices for you all. So welcome to our episode on transitioning into postgraduate life, which really is another realm in of itself. So today, guys, welcome to the podcast. Let's have a little bit of story time and share our experience transitioning into postgraduate. Rangan, how is your experience transitioning into postgraduate life? Well, it was a very interesting experience. Yeah, so I did my undergrad degree here uh, at UCID. I did a Bachelor of Science Advanced, and then I moved into postgraduate medicine this year. What I found is that postgraduate medicine has a lot of similarities to my undergraduate degree, but then also quite a few differences. So like, in terms of similarities, medicine has a lot of lectures and tutorials, which is very similar to the Bachelor of Science. I'd say that actually the majority of our week is taken up by those kinds of activities. And so those are quite familiar activities for those of us who've done science before. But then there are also quite a few differences. For example, uh, we spend, at least in our first and second years of the degree, one day per week in a hospital setting, learning from clinicians at the hospital and trying our best to, to understand how to conduct ourselves in clinical practice. It's almost like an introduction to the real world yeah, in medicine. Wow. And it's, it's definitely very different to our undergraduate experience where you're very much in lecture theatres, in labs, mm -hmm. you're learning the basic science, you're learning how it applies to the world, but you don't always get that fully immersed practical experience. I suppose another difference between my undergraduate degree and medicine is, I guess, the small research component that's involved. I mean, to be fair, in undergraduate science, you do have the opportunity to do research. Mm -hmm. If you get good marks and, and if you really want to do research, you can do this thing called the Talented Students Program where you can essentially meet up with a supervisor. Placement. Yeah, you get yeah. a placement for about a semester or two or however long you want. And, and you can essentially just do research that interests you. I did that once. I feel like I should have done it more. It would have, pre it would have prepared me much better, yeah. I think, uh, for the uh, research component in my postgraduate degree. But yeah, so in medicine at the moment, uh, we do have a research component as well. And that is freaking a few people out. And those who've done research before are a lot more confident. So you mentioned that it's similar to your undergraduate in terms of like just the style of what you expect, like lectures, tutorials, things like that. Yeah. But what about the workload? Oh, yes. Uh, I would say another big difference is the workload, for sure. Even though we do get lectures and tutorials in a similar fashion, one major difference is the amount of work that we get. So I remember when I first transitioned into my undergraduate degree, I was thinking, wow, this is so much more than high school. Mm. This is crazy. Yeah. And, and I suppose at least the first semester, I was thinking, hmm, I wonder how well I'll be able to cope with this. But then over time in your undergraduate degree, you kind of get used to the workload, you get used to what you have to do uh, in order to learn things efficiently, in order to succeed, and in order to make the most out of your degree. But then transitioning to medicine was another experience in that way because it was a massive step up from my undergraduate degree. And so at the beginning of this year, I was left in a situation quite similar to when I first entered uni. Mm -hmm. I was thinking, wow, this is a lot of work. What am I going to be able to do to help myself cope with this? And then as with my undergraduate degree, the more that you immerse yourself in the content, the more you're able to come up with ways of ensuring that you're making the most of your degree. Yeah. Medicine really is a lifestyle. I really hats off to whoever's 
chasing that because yeah, yeah. <laughs> just I, the energy required. I mean, all of us who've entered medicine, we're all very passionate about what we want to do. I hope uh, so. Like, <laughs> I don't want a doctor that's just like laid back and chill. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think that motivation really helps us to, to get through all the content and to make sure that, that we are doing what we need to do uh, in order to make the most of our time. Yeah, the sure. amount of time investment that you have to, you know, that you said before, it's four years undergrad, then another... Three yes, years. yes, exactly. So like seven years here at UCED is the minimum amount of yeah. time that you can spend at uni before you even graduate. Yeah. Mm. And for some people it takes even longer than that. Yeah. It's crazy. And then it's never ending. You keep like specialising. Yes, yes. It's never ending, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, there definitely is light at the end of the tunnel. The question is how long will it take to get there? It's exciting. Definitely. So Mel or Mel, so you've got a really interesting story because you had a bit of a gap year. Yeah, so I think like we've all had quite varied experiences. So I first um, started my undergrad in 2006 in Manchester, the UK, and then I graduated. So my course was a, it had a, a component where you had to spend a year in a German-speaking country. So I did German and business studies, business and management in German. And so I worked for a year as part of my degree um, in Germany. And then I graduated in 2011, and then I kind of felt like I'm probably never going to study again. That was like... <laughs> That was hard work. I'm um, done with that. Like I've done education all my life now. Like I think that's it now. I'm like, looking forward to working. Somehow, like I worked and then decided in 2015 that actually all the jobs that I'd had in the past and um, the ones I enjoyed the most was working with children. So it kind of made me question like, is the office life really for me? Sitting at a you know desk all day long wasn't actually when I first graduated. Just sitting down for six hours at a desk I found really difficult because <laughs> I'm quite an active person. I like being quite social and interacting with people. So to sit down at a desk for six hours or like longer a day was like the most challenging part. Um, and then. Yeah, in 2015, I actually decided to go into teaching. And so initially, I just did um, teaching English as a foreign language in Thailand for a year. And then I worked for a year in Hong Kong. And after that year in Hong Kong, I kind of felt like it was the right thing for me. And then decided I should qualify and went into a master's at Sydney Uni. But yeah, so it took it's like you know six or seven years in between where I wasn't studying. I was in the it real world. It sounds like a dream when you're actually <laughs> studying. You're like, oh, seven years of freedom. Yeah. But um, I know what you mean. You get that itch to like do more. And also, I think Lucy's mentioned it in previous episodes about when you sort of don't know what to do. You do a postgraduate yeah. degree. Yeah. Kind of just puts off adult life for a little bit, so you can kind of find your feet or. You know, as well. Yeah. So it's, it's nice. It's also, you know, increasing your skill sets for different jobs and you know, yeah. if you wanted to pursue education, you have to do that. Yeah. Yeah. That's. I mean, I could obviously work in Asia. That was fine. But if I wanted to work in an English-speaking country, I mean, I might work in an international school eventually. But I'd still want to qualify as a teacher. And after two years' experience, I kind of, I was sure. Whereas with my undergraduate, I think I just kind of was like, okay, what am I doing at college that I'm doing well at? Okay, these are my grades then that means I should do business because I'm doing the best there and I'm, like, I'm good at German so I'll combine those two that makes sense but there wasn't really much thought if that was really my passion it was more yeah. what I was good at at the time and it wasn't until like working that I was like actually I can do it but it's, I don't really enjoy it like it's not what I'm loving you know yeah, I completely yeah, exactly. That. Yeah. I think it's really easy to stay on the course that you're on rather than sort of pursue I guess what you're intrigued about as well yeah. like sometimes it's just an easy like for me I'm just like I entered as a science student you kind of just are finishing up as a science student so mm. I'm kind of 
I've always been like intrigued about other things. As you were saying, like being able to take a gap year, being able to experience uh, the real world mm. in, in particular areas that you're interested uh, yeah. I mean, that's just a great way of exploring your passions, right? Thinking about what is it that I enjoy, what is it that I don't enjoy, and then exploring it in the practical setting to see is this something that will suit me for the rest of my life. Yeah, I love that. I love that level. I love that level of introspection. It's something that I just thought, this is the next logical step, so I'll do that. This is now the next logical step, and I'll do that. But I don't know necessarily if I would have picked that, mm. given the chance again. If I had been more daring and a little bit more brave, I might have gone into something else. But anyway, I think also in the same token, you don't know what you're getting into unless you try it as well. So yeah. you kind of do have to experience what postgraduate life is as well or, or anything else to know if you, it is for you or if it's not. You know, it's like learning how to drive, you know, like you learn the theory and you're, you're there with a driver, like an instructor and whatnot, but it's not until you're out on the road on your own. One of the key differences, I think, is you, you end up having more practical skills for it that you can apply directly to a workplace. Yeah. Whereas undergraduate is like theory based and just letting university know that you basically have those skills to like continue on. Mm. And then postgraduate, it's more, we're trying to hone those specific niche skills in certain areas, be it research, medicine. Um, or education, like those skills that you practically need. And I think that's what I like about it because I think I felt a little bit lost in my undergraduate degree not having that practical aspect. Yeah. And I felt like, well, what's the point? Like, well, how does this pertain to like a career? Like, what am I doing? And although now I look back and I go, okay, there's still skills there that mm. are really important to acquire and especially to acquire before you enter postgraduate. But I felt a lot more grounded in a postgraduate degree. What was your experience like then? Yeah, to me, really unexciting. Like I said, I started as a science student and I'm ending as a science student. So I did undergraduate in science, I did my honours, and then I went on to do a PhD. And everything just felt like a logical progression. Like, you do that. And actually, it was kind of um, a little bit disheartening because I finished my undergraduate and people said, that's not enough. Mm. So I said, yeah. OK, I'll do honours. And then they said, that's not enough. And then it was like PhD, and they're like, well, everyone's got a PhD. And I'm like, well, so you did science. Is it quite like business, like quite broad at the beginning? So like, yeah, it's subject. very, just like, it's very broad. Yeah. Right? And you would have had like some of the same oh, yeah, types definitely. of lectures that I would yeah. have had. Look, it's all really interesting. Medical theory is why I started in the first place. But you do, you don't just want a degree for the sake of a degree. Sometimes you really do want to be like really skilled to like be able to take on a certain type of job. And I think postgraduate definitely helps with that. For me, transitioning to postgraduate was the fact that I felt like my PhD was more like I was an employer at a, a business rather than a student of learning. Yeah. So for my undergraduate degree and my honours even, I felt very like pushed into being, you know, I'm a student and yeah. it's like, you know, just learn this and then show us that you've learned it. So you're more of a client rather than... Yeah, so now employee. I felt like, okay, I clock in. From like 9am until 9 like well, there's some days like, where yeah. you no joke will yeah. pull a it can be even longer like depending yeah. on experiments so you can be there for like 12 hours but it does feel like that more business aspect like you're you know you're a part of a team working towards a goal and there's business aspects involved that weren't before like funding and yeah. and you're working with people that you know are employed and trying to continue their careers and you're all part of that cycle of continuing your own career but then also continuing someone else's as well so with that whole supervisor relationship and and things like that and things start to get a little bit more political it's not uni anymore it's yeah. business and i think this is when a lot of postgraduate students talk about feeling lonely and i think this comes down to 
they compare it to their maybe their undergraduate experience, which was a lot more student life and social, and then yeah. now it feels yeah. like the workplace and it's just a different environment. If you are studying away from home, make sure that you make time to make regular contact because you get Absolutely. so busy, especially postgraduate degree. You get so wrapped up in everything that you have to do and then maybe even working on the side as well. And then, you know, you do want a bit of a social life, so you try and balance that somehow. And you want to go to the gym and you want to cook and all these different things to factor in time to speak to family. It's actually really important just for your own, like, well-being, you know. And yeah, absolutely. Making that time. And once a week, I need to catch up with friends and family from home. Keep your communication really open and honest with people and say, look, I do want to do this degree. I'm probably going to need your help and support yeah. in the forms of you know, ABC, whatever it be, financial, emotional, emotional yeah. anything. Yeah. Like, I'm probably going to need to rely on you. Yeah. Is that okay? Yeah. How do you think we can get through these? If it's not okay, you know, figuring out, figuring out what's going to work as well. Yeah. Yeah, especially because you probably don't want that conversation in the middle of no. your your studies because you're going to be so busy. So yeah, then having to also juggle, oh, actually, it's affecting my home life because we weren't aware that it was going to be like this. For all of us doing a postgraduate degree, we're so busy, there's so much going on. It's such a big balancing act. It can be so tempting to neglect your friends and your family at the expense yeah. of your work and your studies. And I think it's, it's just a very important point to bear in mind that your friends and your family should always be number one, right? You need that social support structure in place in order to keep you sane, mm. in order to ensure that uh, you have a, a good level of well-being as yeah. you're continuing through the degree. What are your guys' tips for securing yourself financially? I did prepare a little bit by saving up before I came here, but to be honest, you put down for a deposit. But one thing that I haven't really taken advantage of um, looking into scholarships, people do get scholarships quite regularly, right? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. One of the main ones for a PhD is the APA, the Australian Postgraduate Award. Even I know people that didn't get their APA for their first year of PhD but applied for a second year when they had publications or they had conference presentations and it boosted their chances of getting the so they still got one eventually, yeah. which is great. So I'd say don't give up on that. Um, yeah. It is definitely something that I've relied heavily on. There's also like specific ones of people that donate scholarships to the university as well. Yeah. So they'll have like a list of requirements that which you might fall under. So definitely worth checking out. So you've yeah. already applied for a scholarship and been successful Part of the requirement was actually just having a certain mark from your honours mm -hmm. in undergraduate that would qualify you for yeah. that. Um, and that's like a point-based system. So yeah. that's why I'm saying like if the people didn't get it the first round, they just boost their score by like doing, you know, for that for that year they really try to publish or something yeah. and I think that gets them like one or two points or something. So you can boost your score that way and then mm -hmm. eventually get it. So that's what the system was when I applied for it. It could be different now, so just check. Every different faculty has a wide variety of scholarships that yeah. are available. Uh, when it comes to the med faculty, I'd say that a lot of the scholarships are quite generous and they will vary in terms of their value uh, between different awards and between different faculties. As you're saying, it's all about just having a look to see what's on offer. Yeah. I think one important thing to note is that often scholarships, especially the more generous ones, are often more available to domestic students than international mm. students. Mm. Um, so if you are an international student, it is, of course, worthwhile to look at scholarships at university, but it's also uh, just as worthwhile to think about options outside of university, yeah. to look at those Rotary scholarships, uh, to look at private sources of funding. If you plan on going on an exchange for whatever reason, or if you plan on traveling for conferences, there are lots of scholarships available for that. I remember just the other day, I was just looking on the USIP website at scholarships, and so many of them were based around funding people for travel. So. Um, 
when you're doing a postgraduate degree, it, it can feel like you have such a large workload and you may decide, hmm, I feel a bit busy to go overseas, to go on an exchange, to go yeah. on a conference. But if you feel that you may be financially struggling uh, in order to get to that conference or to go on that exchange, yeah. uh, just bear in mind that there are scholarships available mm -hmm. that will allow you to go to those places. And also, as you guys have touched on already, to think about part-time work. I do tutoring on the side, which kind of also relates to my degree, so, you know, my master's. So kind of staying in the industry and tutoring primary school aged children. Having a look on the career page on the Sydney Uni website as well, which is how we found our PLA role, yeah. I'm guessing. But there's also other research positions and a lot of those are part-time basis and they pay quite a good hourly rate. And that's actually a really good point. A good advantage of doing part-time and casual work while you're actually studying is that it allows you to take a bit of a break yeah. from, from what you're doing. So for example, uh, medicine is very intense. They give us a lot of content and we will spend, at least in my experience, a, a very large portion of the week just studying the content. Being able to come to a part-time job, such as being a PLA, it allows you to take your mind off your studies just for that moment. Yeah. It allows you to focus on other things, to learn other really cool skills. Yeah. And I think this kind of life experience is very, very beneficial regardless of what degree you do. That looks really good to your employers as well. With my masters, I found as well a lot of people have started full time and then realized, oh wow, it's actually a lot of work and then have gone down to a reduced load. There is that flexibility as well. I think in some postgraduate degrees, you know, if you're starting full time and realize it is too much and you are burning out, there are ways to maybe go part time, even for just part of the degree. I think something that is a lot different to undergraduate as well, and I know it pertains to my experience, but it might not so much pertain to yours. And this is the, you now have this new relationship that you have to foster, and that is with a supervisor or yeah. a mentor that you didn't have before. So I think that's also something you need to prepare yourself when you're transitioning, is trying to firstly establish that relationship with your supervisor, and you do this before you even start applying for your degree because you find like a research lab. And this for some people can be really difficult as well. And like you're spending a lot of time with them and... You're spending a lot of time with them and you want to get a lot out of, out of that relationship. Yeah. Like they are supposed to be the expert in the field and you're, you know, that's master student kind of relationship. Yeah. So you want to be able to foster that. I, you know, it's not always easy for people because, you know, different personalities clash yeah. as well or there are other issues. So it is something you have to consider as well. Basically, if you don't ask, you don't get. Yeah. So your supervisor is very, very busy. So you can't always expect them to be on top of your CV. You do have to make yourself known and you do have to ask for opportunities and recommend asking, making it known that, you know, I want to publish or mm -hmm. I want to go to this conference. Yeah. Or make it known that you do want to achieve these things and, yeah. you know, get your name in there and, and somewhere because you can get lost. I think the big difference between medicine and I, I guess these sorts of professional postgraduate degrees versus uh, research-based postgraduate degrees is more that uh, the amount of research that we have to do is perhaps less than what you'd need to do in a PhD. Uh, so we do have a research component to our medicine degree. Yeah. Um, and this does involve meeting with a supervisor mm -hmm. and uh, trying to complete a project uh, under their supervision. Okay. Um, but particularly in medicine, it only needs to be the equivalent of eight weeks full-time, mm -hmm. which means that it's a relatively small proportion of our degree. Compared to PhD, for sure, yeah. Absolutely. Um, so it's still important to make sure that you cultivate that relationship with your supervisor uh, and to make sure... That means that you have a shorter time to do that, though, as well. Like you have to make yeah. a good impression in a short amount yeah, of time. Yeah, that, that, yeah, that's true. 
Having said that, though, just because it needs to be uh, the equivalent of eight weeks full time, it doesn't yeah. mean that you have to do it just in eight weeks. Yeah. So you can spread it out over the course of like two or three years. And you, you have to. that flexibility that you can. Absolutely. Oh, okay. It just has to be. You have to go through a series of what they call milestones, yeah. mm -hmm. which are, um, I guess, uh, checkpoints to make sure that you are up to speed at that particular point in time. And as long as you are going through these these milestones at the required time, you can essentially go at a much slower pace than someone working full-time in research, as long as your project and your report is completed close to the end of your third year. Yeah. So how does the supervisor come into that? Yes. Are they like constantly there throughout the three years, like checking in on you, or are they just... Yes and no, and that because most students spread out their research project over the course of two or three years, you're not really gonna meet your supervisor regularly, but you will meet the supervisor, let's say, two or three times a year, for example, mm -hmm. um, just so that they can check in with you to see how you're going. I have placements during, for, during my master's, so I have two one-month placements and then one internship, which is 10 weeks. And I think that's where the relationships and the networking comes in, mainly in my field, because those schools, you're going to do your first experience, so you're so fresh, but that's where you have to put the time in and the effort, because those could potentially be the people that will reach out to you in the future when you're qualified. I'm glad you said networking, because yeah. I think that's a really important thing to bring up, is that you have to realise that your networking has started. You, once you start your postgraduate degree, that's your networking yeah. just beginning. I mean, unless you were really well connected before that, in which case, congratulations. Yeah. But for most people, Postgraduate life is where it's at, it's where it starts. Yeah. So this is when you really want to be able to start honing in on how you develop those professional relationships as well. For me, doing a postgraduate degree and there are times where you, know, you have highs and lows, like these people see you at your worst sometimes, like yeah. <laughs> crying at your desk. So it can be difficult. Yeah. You, you want to make the best impression every chance that you possibly can get. But you know, when you spend so long with so much um, yeah. with people, they, they do see a human side to you as well. Yeah. And I think that's okay and that's normal, but sometimes that can kind of put you off a little bit of maintaining those connections or furthering it, because you get a little bit like, should I say shy? Not really shy, but you kind of are just like, oh, like they've, maybe I've ruined that connection mm. because they've seen that part of me crying in the corner. Talking it out with someone can sometimes be like all yeah, you need. Yeah, sometimes yeah. the real human moments can actually drive a stronger networking connection yeah. as well. When people are like, hey, we're bonding over you know yeah. this particular thing as well. So don't underestimate as well. But it's also great opportunities. Like I just did my first placement in September, and from that they've asked me, oh, can you come in and uh, cover someone's holiday? You know, as a as a support teacher. So it does open up opportunities. You know, it's, if you put that time and that energy to like build these relationships. Yeah, that's particularly the case in medicine because in order to be competitive to get into a medical specialty, you need to make sure that you've done quite a lot of research before you start applying for those specialties. And this all comes back to your point of networking. Mm. So in order to get these research projects, you have to apply to particular supervisors, either at the university or in particular hospitals. And when you're applying, you really need to make sure that you impress them, not just through your CV, but, but through interviews and through showing that you're passionate about what you're doing. Yeah. So I think networking is really important for any postgraduate degree. Get in touch with this, what services are available to you, like the um, ALLs, the Academic Liaison Librarians, mm -hmm. um, is something that you, you probably also want to establish a relationship with so that you can you know, when you need help with these with these issues as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, and there are some other resources. You can come and find the PLAs, like in our red shirts as well, in the lab. We, we are postgraduate students ourselves, and we've been in the game for a little while. So if you're just starting out, come and find us, and come and have a chat to us about any issues that you have pertaining to your postgraduate experience as well. 
we are always happy to talk. <laughs> I just wanted to say, like, before you transition into a PhD or any postgraduate degree, yeah. just recognize that it's a roller coaster. Mm. It's very stressful. It doesn't have to be. So this is why, like, when you're just at the beginning and you're transitioning, just let's try to find our feet and set ourselves up really well. Yeah. And to just find those resources for when we need them. Because mm. there may be times where you do need to discuss with someone um, anything mental health related or even health related. And also, we've spoken in previous episodes of talking to GPs, but it's just really being aware of yourself and what you need and get on top of it early. Make sure there are also records of it as well, just in case you need to apply for extensions. Mm. Just set yourself up so that you're not going to have you know, stress. So that when and there's an issue comes up we don't just sweep it under the rug we don't just hope it's going to go away we deal with it and we deal with it in the best way we possibly can there are resources available always and there's also super right which is for super, postgraduate yeah, students postgraduate yeah so that's support as well. yeah and that can be anything like um I remember when I first started my postgraduate um, degree at the start, I had some issues with the lease of my house and I had no idea about Supra was the ones that, you know, the people that I ended up approaching. So I think don't be shy to ask for help. You know, it's just going to make you better. So to wrap up today's episode, what's your take home message? I think making the most of the support that's available at the university. And if you can get any kind of financial support from the university, make the most of that. Um, make the most of the, the workshops, uh, the free resource. There's a lot of free support and resources at the university. I think my major take home tip really is around your family yeah. and your social support networks. I mean, uh, as we mentioned before, it's very tempting to block them out of your life mm. uh, when you feel really, really busy. But yeah. it's always important to remember that your family and your friends, they should always come first. Right? Yeah. You, you need to make sure that you have go, uh, good social uh, networks around you to help you uh, keep yourself in a, a good mental state. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Please don't be shy about asking for help. It's not a sign of weakness. I actually think it's a really strong strength in people who like to acquire knowledge and better themselves. Mm. It's about bettering yourself. And if you don't ask for help, you're not going to have all the answers. I can yeah. promise you that. You're not. And you're not expected to and you shouldn't be expected to. So mm. please ask for help for little things, for big things, for anything. Resources are there. Just have it as like a knowledge grab. Like you're here, grab as much knowledge as you can. Well, there you have it. Thanks for joining us. And we'll see you in the next episode. PeerPod is recorded and produced by the library's peer learning advisors in the ThinkSpace One Button Recording Studio on Gadigal Land.